Hi everybody, I'm Jason Mangum. And I'm Mark Anderson. And this is another segment of World Impact News. And we've simply called this, Let's Open Up America Again. And so, in light of what we've all been going through with these lockdowns, we've made some videos even on, is the lockdown necessary on coronavirus and the manufactured pandemic side of things? Among others, yes. Among others that are Mm -hmm. dealing with this. Uh, faith and freedom uh, being infringed upon and so we encourage you to go watch or listen to all of those as well because they're available on podcasts visit our website worldimpactnews.net and as a matter of fact Mark we have an article you wrote out there that everybody can go read as well Constitutional Scholar Enlightens Large Audience at Open Texas Rally and that scholar is David Barton who's well-known for connecting basic Christian principles with the founding of the country, the Declaration of Independence, other organic documents that led to the Constitution of the United States. And he spoke May 9th, I believe it was, it was on a Saturday, at one of many open Texas rallies that have been taking place in Dallas, get this, right on the grassy knoll on Elm Street in Dealey Plaza, where the Kennedy shooting took place in 1963. And Mr. Barton shared a number of things that I outline in this article. And we bring forth this Open Texas group, not only because they're meeting regularly, you can look them up on Facebook, and we have some speech clips we'll show from recent rallies there, particularly the May 9 rally. But they are kind of leading the way in many respects. They show a very spirited approach, Jason, a very optimistic, cautiously optimistic, but optimistic approach, looking ahead really showing where our freedoms come from, emphasizing those freedoms, and making the all-important point, ladies and gentlemen, that freedom and good health and safety are not mutually exclusive. I've said this before. Exercising our First Amendment rights, assembly, speech, press, and so on, are all all the more important because when you exercise those rights, you have the ability and freedom to exercise the the finding of information, securing information, not just from official sources, but being free to gather and speak about other information from other sources to explore more about the coronavirus, to understand better because you have those freedoms, to publish, to uh, air those views. And with those freedoms, you find information that otherwise might be denied to the people. Therefore, the people are better informed. And as Thomas Thomas Jefferson said, there is no better repository for human freedom than for the people themselves to be well informed. Not just the elite, not just the medical cartel, not just the media cartel, but all people. And so exercising our freedoms in that it enlightens the people, therefore brings about a better educated populace who is better educated against propaganda. Therefore, they are much better prepared to weather the storm against any disaster, be it a pandemic, natural disaster, whatever it might be. So freedom is not anti-security. It is not anti-good health. That is extremely important to mention. Mr. Barton noted at that May 9 rally that the average length of a constitution in the world get this, is 17 years, as he told the crowd. We've had our Constitution for 233 years. He went on to say, I've talked to people in Poland who've lived through seven constitutions in their lifetimes. He's talking about the endurance, the enduring character 
of the American experiment in liberty. And he added that the Constitution, quote, is written based on principles that don't change across time, which he kind of compared to the laws of motion. And when you understand those principles, it gives longevity to what we do. And even though everyone from dog catcher to president takes an, up, takes an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution, the problem, Mr. Barton continued, is that few officials understand its structure or purpose. And that, he said, is on top of the fact that proper civics education is scarcely, if ever, taught in school anymore. And he said, adding, only 24% of Americans can name the three branches of government and among elected officials, 48% cannot tell you the three branches of government, Mr. Barton claimed. And he went on to outline some interesting facts about pandemics going back to the 1600s in early American history before the founding of the country. And we'll hear some of that right now from his speech May 9th in Dallas. Thank you, Senator. We're really in some unusual times. I don't think most people realize how blessed we are. What's there it is. Can you hear that better? Okay. I don't think most Americans realize how blessed we are. We take so much for granted. Uh, let me just point out the average length of a constitution in the history of the world is 17 years. America's had ours for 233 years. Um, it's what we have, we just take for granted. We've had it for so long, we just assume it's always going to be there, and this is not the case. I've talked to people, we take congressional delegations to Poland, help with congressional delegations, setting up relations with the conservative nations in Europe, and I've talked to people in Poland who have lived through seven constitutions in their lifetime. If you're from South Korea, since South Korea was free, they've been through six constitutions. So we have one. We've been very blessed. I think the reason is John Adams put his finger on it. He said, we're a government of laws, not of men. It's not the opinions of people that guide us. It is written documents that guide us. And so those written documents have been very key. Uh, when you look at those written documents, they don't change over generations. They give us principles. The, the, if you look at scientific principles, the principles of gravity don't change. The laws of gravity, the laws of motion, none of those laws change. Same with the Constitution. It's not written on technology. It's written on principles that do not change across time. And as you understand those principles, that gives longevity to what we do. Now, every elected official we have in America, from dog catcher to president of the United States, takes an oath to uphold the Constitution. The problem is most Americans today don't know the Constitution. Let me Right now in America, what, what the easiest should be, how many branches of government are there and what are they? Three, right? Only 24% of Americans can name the three branches of government. Among elected officials, 48% of elected officials cannot tell you the three branches of government. That's the most basic question that there is. We have found recently in recent weeks that 57% of Americans have never read the Constitution of the United States. It's really hard to defend something and protect something or uphold something you don't know what it is. You've never read it. So that's where we have to what our rights are. And as you know the rights, there's no way you can understand the Constitution without understanding the definition. It's interesting that in American federal law, there are four what they call organic documents. Right at the start of all, all the legal code in America, it lists the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution as two of those four. So you can't ignore the Declaration because the Declaration sets for six principles of government and those six principles they took to the Constitution and in the Constitution. Now, I'm not going to go through the six principles, but I, I want to draw to, you, to your attention. The Declaration says that there are certain inalienable rights that we have and that the purpose of government is to protect inalienable rights. Now, when you look at inalienable rights, 
how many are there? Well, the founding fathers identified roughly two dozen inalienable rights. Uh, there's 16 to 19 that are embedded in the Bill of Rights and the Declaration, but they have about two dozen or so of those inalienable rights. And I think there's easy to say that those inalienable rights are under attack today, and they're under attack by so many who don't even have a clue what they are. They think they can set aside free speech or religion or press or but they well, I'll take I'll talk about press in a minute. But they think they can set aside those rights kind of arbitrarily for the sake of a pandemic that's come through. And, and let me point out, these are not unprecedented times in America in many ways. If you study history, we've had a major pandemic about every 15 to 18 years throughout American history. You can start back 1633 with the yellow fever pandemic, or excuse me, the smallpox. You can go to yellow fever. We've had scarlet fever pandemics. We've had measles pandemics. We've had several cholera pandemics. We've had all sorts of different flu epidemics. I mean, just there's so many. So this is nothing new. Uh, and by the way, point out as much as we're hearing about how lethal this thing is, if you go to the yellow fever epidemic of 1793, the mortality rate in cities like Philadelphia was 25%. So let me set the stage here. There's 2.64 million people in Dallas County. If we had had the same mortality rate they had in the yellow fever epidemic of, of 1793, we would have 600,000 Dallas Countyans dead right now. We have 111 dead. This is nowhere close to the mortality of previous epidemics. If you look at something like the smallpox epidemic, today the, the COVID mortality rate is one one-hundredth of one percent. That's what it is right now. The smallpox epidemic of 1633, the mortality rate was 70 percent. So out of 330 million Americans, we would have roughly 240 million dead right now mortality rate. So this is not a mortality. We, we regret every single life that's been lost. But the seizure of power over something that supposedly is so dangerous, oh my goodness, this is only the eighth most dangerous thing in America right now. All the COVID deaths put together, there's seven things that have a much higher death rate in America than COVID does. So why do we lose constitutional rights to something that's number eight on the list? That doesn't make any sense. So when you look historically, but that, that comes from knowing something about history and the Constitution. So what, what rights are now, now, I will say the difference today with all the previous pandemics is how our public officials are responding to it. It's not that we haven't had them before, and it's not that government hasn't been involved before. The response today is unprecedented. If you look at the attack on our rights, let me take the First Amendment. The First Amendment has five guaranteed rights in the First Amendment. By the way, only one out of a thousand Americans knows what those five rights are in the First Amendment. If you want a homework assignment, learn those five rights, and then ask all your friends what those five rights are. Just get them to think about the five rights in the First Amendment. Freedom of speech and press and petition and assembly and religion. Five simple things. Four of those five are under direct attack in COVID. The only one that, that the uh, public officials have not gone after is freedom of the press. I wonder why that is. They've left the press completely alone. They've gone after religion, petition, assembly. They've gone after everything else. They haven't done. We, we've had the Second Amendment come under attack. The mayor in Jackson, Florida, uh, in Jackson, um, in Jackson, Mississippi, said, "You know, during this COVID thing, we're going to have to suspend all your Second Amendment rights to conceal carry. You can't do that anymore." No, no, no. That, that's not a reason to take away inalienable rights. You have the same thing when you get to the Third Amendment. Third Amendment simply says government's not to set up camp in our house. They've done that. They've moved in. They're doing social distancing even in certain homes, telling people what they can and can't do in their home. And no, no, no. 
Third, third Amendment says you can't do that. The Fourth through the Eighth Amendments are what we call the due process clauses. There's a number of amendments there, and they're all based on the, the belief that we're innocent until proven guilty, unless it's COVID, and then we're all guilty until proven innocent. So we're not going after those who have COVID. We're going after all the people who don't have COVID. We're not going to let you talk about it, not going to let you assemble about it. And, and see, we go through all these enable rights, and there's a bunch there. But if you look at, as I mentioned, if you look at all those in the Bill of Rights and elsewhere, you get 16 to 19, depending on how you break them out. Founding Fathers said roughly two dozen. So what do we have that we're not talking about? Well, Founding Fathers said you have an enable right of expatriation. Now, we don't really know what that is today because we don't study that. But here's another one. Founding Fathers said you have an inalienable God-given right to earn a living. And it's the duty of government to protect that. Let me... The government has the same responsibility to protect your right to earn a living as it does protect your freedom of speech or press or anything else. Let me give you a quote from, from Thomas Jefferson in his second inaugural address. It's a great quote. He says, what is necessary to make us a happy and a prosperous people? That's a good question. Don't know how you would answer that. Here's how he answered it. He said, what's necessary to make us a happy and a prosperous people? He says, a wise and frugal government that shall leave citizens free to regulate their own pursuits of industry and improvement and not take from the mouth of labor the bread it has earned. This is a sum of good government. So good government gives you the right to earn a living and doesn't take it away from you. Now, that's, an under that's a fundamental understanding they had. Now, let me be real clear. It's not the government's responsibility to give you a job or to make sure you have a job. You do that. But once you get a job, it's the government's responsibility not to take it away from you and to make sure that you can keep the income that you make. It's not their responsibility to give you a job. So, so that right to have a job and earn a living is fundamentally an inalienable right. If you understand the Declaration, the purpose of government is to protect inalienable rights. That's what the Constitution guarantees. So that should have been done all along. Shutting businesses down this way is unprecedented. That is the one thing that's never happened in any previous pandemic is complete closure of business. It's never happened before. That's what's unprecedented. But this rally also included the comments of Shelley Luther, the noted Dallas salon owner and businesswoman who defied the lockdown orders that were recently in place there until Governor Greg Abbott of Texas began to loosen things up recently. And we heard, uh, we've heard about some of her comments. She had this to say. First of all, I don't, I don't feel like I'm leading anything. I feel like my dad who fought in the wars and all of these war veterans, you led the way. We're trying to get that back. We're just trying to get what you already fought for. We're trying to get that back. So thank you for saying that I'm leading the way, but maybe leading the way back to where we should be is, is uh, more like it for me. Judge Moyer. He had a post on one of his social medias. It was um, a lady that was protesting for her rights to open her business, um, a blonde white lady. And um, I guess she had, um, she had gotten COVID-19 somehow. He wrote on there, karma's a bitch. You don't treat anyone like that. I don't care who you think you are, what Cuban cigars you smoke, what thick steaks you have when there's not even any meat in the grocery stores. You're not better than us. And you got to go. As I've told you all before, I've never claimed a party. My party is liberty. My party is rights.
And then in addition, Dr. Yvette Lozano, also Jason, spoke at this Open Texas rally, which, as I said, seems to be leading the way in opening up America. And she had some interesting medical observations to um, share, and some of those were as follows. The reason I'm here today is because I want you to know the truth about this virus. Let's start just with some simple numbers. And we've heard these numbers, but I want you to think about them. 330 million people in the United States of America. 29 million people in the state of Texas. 2 million people in Dallas. 111 dead. Now, when you see those numbers, it kind of shocks you that we could stop society for 111 deaths. Let me explain how they do it. Here is how it is notified to you. 27,000 positive COVID tests, 3,000 recovered, 111 dead. Well, if 3,000 are recovered from 127,000 positive tests, that's 124,000 that have recovered, right? Because we've only got 111 deaths. The things that I'm gonna tell you today are from my personal experience in my office. I don't want to bring statistics from other physicians because there's always someone on the left that wants to contradict me. So these are my experiences. Patients that have walked into my office, these patients present in panic. They are afraid. They are anxious. They're actually afraid to get diagnosed. They have been staying at home for days and not coming into the office. Why is that? Well, that's real simple. When they go to the emergency room, they're turned away. If they have a fever, they're sent home and told to quarantine to save the rest of society. During those many precious days when they're sent away and sent home, they infect their family members. And so a lot of my patients are in groups of families. Okay? This is not just happening in the emergency rooms. This is happening in doctor's clinics. These doctors that are not opening their practice, that are all of a sudden implementing telemedicine. Let me tell you something. From a physician that's been practicing for 29 years, I can't examine you through a computer screen. That's right. We can't that's right. Facebook or FaceTime for me to see what's wrong with you. That's right. I have to touch you. It's called a physical exam. And this is what I went to medical school, to provide care in the midst of a pandemic, not to hide in my fancy home with my fancy cars and my family. Okay, now. Let's go a little step further. Let's talk about treatment, okay? You would think that I would get some kind of guidance from the American Medical Association, the Texas Medical Association, the Dallas County Medical Association. Well, I was on a live telecast, and here's what I heard from the Texas Medical Association. We need to increase visas to bring in foreign medical doctors to help us take care of COVID patients. Really? Are you kidding me? Now, the things that I tell you are personal experience. I was on that call. Needless to say, that was my last call, right? Okay, so where and how did I learn how to treat COVID patients? Well, I'm going to tell you. I learned it from the President of the United States, Donald Trump. So, when this pandemic started, President Trump was giving daily interviews to the media. 
And he came across because you realize as President of the United States, he's dealing with heads of states of other countries. And he came across a treatment protocol that had been successful in France. Yes. One doctor had treated 29 patients and every single patient had survived. And every single patient had improved. And President Trump thought that that was newsworthy. God forbid he share that with doctors. We didn't receive any advance from the local medical agencies that we all pony up our money to belong to and become members of. So I wrote these things down. I wrote these medications down. And I waited and waited for my COVID patients that just didn't come in. Because you see, they were going to hospitals and emergency rooms, and they were going to employee clinics looking for treatment, and they were being sent home and told to quarantine for 14 days. Don't come out, protect the community. Well, what about them? What about their health? So they started slipping through the cracks and calling me. Are you open? Hell yes. Can I come in? Absolutely. That's what I make the big bucks on. And as they came in, I implemented the only thing that I had heard that had worked in other countries, countries that had been inflicted with this virus before we even knew its name. And so I wrote a prescription and I sent them home. And I added a little bit to the protocol that President Trump gave as I'm a physician and it's called the practice of medicine. So I gave them a couple of shots, yes. Antibiotic shots in the butt. Not one single one denied them. And guess what I found? To my surprise, the very next day, they were all amazingly better. Yeah. I was actually surprised. Within 24 hours, the patient was completely symptom-free. And here's the take-home message for all of you. It's called hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine. It costs $13. $13. It's been on the market for 60 years. It is the candy for lupus. It is considered a vitamin for arthritis patients. And for some reason, those bureaucrats that are standing next to our president that think that they know more about medicine than I do are telling me I can't use it. In, in fact, not only are they telling me I can't use it, in two states it's completely illegal to prescribe this, right? Most of my colleagues are afraid to use it because the agencies that they work for have told them that the risk is too high. Liability, it hasn't been FDA approved. Well, FDA can approve you know what on my behind. I have patients at Lozano Medical Clinic that are cured of this disease. I have patients that recovered within 48 hours. In fact, the illness that they had was more caused by the stress and the fear of the propaganda that's being spewed on the news media than by the actual virus. Now, I'm going to shock you a little bit more. Here's what the pharmacist told me. I'm not going to prescribe this. I'm not going to fill it. I'm not going to dispense it without a diagnosis. I told him, this is privileged information between me and the patient. Your job is to put the pills in the bottle. Here's what I found out. Remember we talked about the freedoms and the liberties that we're losing without you and me even knowing that we're losing them? Okay, here it goes, guys. Every time you go to the pharmacy, the pharmacy board has stated that those two prescriptions, starting in early March, will not be dispensed by a pharmacist unless it comes with a diagnosis. Now, here's what I told the pharmacist. I am from the time of AIDS. 
a general surgeon by training. When we went into the operating room, we didn't have a good test for HIV. So all of us assumed that every single patient on that surgical table was infected with HIV. And we protected ourselves appropriately. I don't believe that we need to discriminate because patients have contacted this virus, which, as was stated, is 98% treatable with no medication. 98% of people recover. I'm going to treat every patient walking into the office as though he has COVID. But I'm not going to make him feel like he's a leopard or has leprosy. And I'm definitely not going to discriminate with him. I'm going to calm him down. I'm going to reassure him that there's treatment protocols out there. Now, my question is, why is the media not doing the same? Why is the media blocking every single post that I make on Facebook in regards to this medication? And where are our politicians that are supposed to be our freedom fighters? I want to hear them yelling it from the mountaintops. And so I am here today to thank you for the opportunity to speak with you, to reassure you that it is not dangerous or scary to go to a restaurant, to go get your hair done, to go shopping. Yes! Our immune systems are improved through exposure to sunlight, through gathering. Reach out to your physicians. Tell them that you're not scared. Tell them to open their doors. Tell them you don't want to see their assistance. You want to see them. And call your politicians. It's time to open Texas. And that pretty concisely outlines what these uh, brave and courageous people meeting in Dallas had to say in passionately calling for Texas to be, among other states, to really take the lead in challenging the entire United States to open up again. And that really puts the onus on the really tight lockdown states like California, like Michigan, like New York State, where Governors Newsom, Whitmer, and Cuomo have really been ruling with an iron fist and acting like un-American states, as we outlined in a recent video called Free States and Slave States, another one of our videos concerning COVID-19. So Jason, I know you had some observations, but this is this speaks well to the American spirit that Mr. Barton especially emphasized in his talk, where Americans can take the lead, not just in their country, of course, to restore their nation and open it back up, but to lead the world. And a lot of British people in the UK where the lockdown has been very onerous and among many European nations such as Denmark and others where the lockdown has been especially tight, they're looking, Jason, to the United States of America and its citizens, people like you and I, to take the lead and stand up for American freedom, stand up for freedom throughout the world. They're looking to us. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as, as America goes, the world goes. And so they are looking at what we are doing as Americans, especially knowing that our Constitution is the oldest. 233 years, our Constitution. And it's good to see, and I would hope that even with open Texas, that it would pave the way for other states that are are ruled and led by these draconian authoritarian leaders in these different cities and counties and even the governors themselves that that they would even see what open texas is doing 
to help lead the way in opening other states across this nation. And one thing I want to point out that's very interesting, because you know you talked about the three different speakers, is one, you have a historian of the nation, but also of the Constitution. Then you have an individual, Shelley Luther. So you have Dave Barton, who's a historian and constitutionalist and, and is, does very well in that area. I mean, he is a sharp cookie. But then you have Shelley Luther, who's a business owner. And so you see her taking a stand. And then you have the doctor yes. who is taking a stand. So you're seeing constitution, you know, our, our rights, our liberties, our freedoms. But then you see the business side of things as well. And you see the health side of things. And the, and the alternative data that she provides to exactly. challenge the dominant narrative from the medical monopoly. Right. Even yes. to the things, I mean, of what she was saying, to enlighten people of what the doctors and what these patients are going through when she can give them a $3 prescription and they won't, they won't fill the prescription, the pharmacy is now calling them and having them require them to give a diagnosis. So you can see all of these different... Uh, there's great pushback to actually have America open up again, but we're going to see, let's all see it, that America would open up again. And so, But you could see in California, in Atwater, and I wanted to bring l- some light to this. There's some irony in what you're about to say, yeah, too. Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting yes. because um, in Atwater, California, which is about 100 miles south of Sacramento, which is the capital. Capital. Mm -hmm. And then, and 60 miles north of Fresno, Atwater City declared itself a sanctuary city for all businesses, allowing owners to open despite the state of California stay-at-home order. So it's almost like, and I'll say it like this, Mark, it's like the left, you know, they have this sanctuary city, and it's uh, backfired on them because yeah. now we could see logical reasoning of what would actually be a sanctuary city and I, I'll make some statements to that but the Atwater City Council voted unanimously unanimously in favor of the resolution saying it affirms the city's commitment to fundamental constitutional rights that's the statement of the city council of Atwater. That's beautiful. It's not just about commerce and business. They actually cite the constitutional foundation. Exactly. It's very fundamental constitutional rights. So, um, Excellent. This is America. You have the choice. It's time for the government to stop dictating, said Atwater Mayor Paul Creighton. When is it going to end? When everyone is bankrupt, that's from the mayor. That was a quote from him. But then one of the councilmen, uh, Brian Raymond, who is the mayor pro tem, said, we stand with our businesses, we stand with our residents. He also said that sanctuary status does not just apply to businesses, but get this, Mark, but that nonprofit organizations and churches can now reopen too. So what's interesting is, so some of the tactics that the left uses to circumvent and even break the law, right? Mm-hmm. Now the citizens are using to reopen America. Isn't that interesting? To fulfill the constitutional law. To fulfill the constitutional law. law. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The left would take 
undocumented immigrants, illegal aliens, some people call them, and use a sanctuary city approach to prevent law enforcement within that city from, say, arresting an illegal alien suspected of some kind of crime, including serious crimes. And that was that's a very perverse way of applying sanctuary cities, whereas right. what you're seeing now is not perverse, but in fact is a logical and constructive way of uh, mitigating against what this city sees as the unjust regulations and edicts being handed down by Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. So here the sanctuary city principle makes more sense and stands on much more solid ground. Right. And so there's irony there, and but it's a constructive approach rather than a degrada- degradation or deconstructive or harmful approach. Yeah. So where you could see, like the left uses this sanctuary city to basically circumvent the Constitution and make things a lawless state or a lawless city, you know? Correct. And so, but even you see cases, Mark, where people now are saying when it comes to masks and the requirements of masks, and there's many cases out there, and you could read them. Even our Surgeon General has said that there's a higher likelihood of someone catching a virus from wearing a mask. So there's other medical professionals. I mean, you could see even from somebody was jogging, wearing a mask, but they jogged two and a half miles, and their lung, it punctured their lung, and they had lung failure. This individual had one of the lungs uh, punctured and Had failed. one of the punctures and fell from wearing a face mask. So And passed but, away, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yes. So you can see the different things that are happening because of the face mask, but... You know, I've seen recently people saying, my body, my choice. So now, where just, have we heard that before? So just where the left would say, my body, my choice, giving reason to ab- abort a child. And we in no way condone abortion whatsoever. Because you got to remember, it's not just my body. What about the body of the child? The right. baby, the unborn baby. One the, plus one is two, last exactly. I looked. Exactly. So, yeah. Because the reality is, if somebody, if a, if a if a woman who is pregnant is in a car accident, hit by a drunk driver, let's that say, drunk mm-hmm. driver, let's just say, just as a scenario, that drunk driver would not just and, and the and the pregnant woman died, that drunk driver would be charged with a with two manslaughter charges, correct, or homicide or whatever it was determined by the prosecutor. But it's not just the woman. Mm-hmm. It is the unborn baby that is in the woman. So you could see where, you know, my my body, my choice. Well, the reality is uh, now you can see, I believe, some real logic and almost leading the way on what really my body, my choice means. And so, right, uh, a individual who is not carrying a child, obviously that applies to men naturally, but a woman who's not pregnant they can safely and without any problem say my body, my choice because they're only dealing with their own body. So wearing masks, you know, being required to do that, they have the right to say no, especially under the Americans with Disabilities Act, or they have the right, right to say, I, I, I don't want that medical treatment. I don't want that vaccine, my body, my choice. So it takes on a proper and logical and common sense meaning, meaning excuse me, whereas in, in the abortion context, it overlooks and perverts the whole idea because the child, the sovereignty of the child's body is being discounted and overlooked. Right. And so 
in th- through both sanctuary cities and my body, my choice, we now see those things being co-opted in the right way to fight against the overly zealous application of COVID-19 guidelines and lockdowns. Yeah. So it's time. Let's open up America again. It's time, everybody, to wake up and let's open up America again. Don't you agree? And there's a song by the British band The Who called We Won't Get Fooled Again, Jason. Yeah. One of my favorite old rock songs. And what that means, ladies and gentlemen, is once this country opens up, it stays open. We cannot arrest our entire society over another strain of the flu when we know the numbers are being fudged, strong evidence of overcounting of cases and deaths, underreporting of recoveries, a lot of fudging of the numbers. Those have been that's been covered more in other videos that we've done and we'll be doing more of that in the near future. And so there you go. Let's open up America again. Absolutely. So we'll see you next time. I'll, uh, go and check our YouTube channel. We're on Facebook. You can check our podcast on your podcast platform. Type in World Impact News. And you can go to our website, once again, worldimpactnews.net. So share this video, like this video, and we'll see you next time. Have a great day. God bless. Bye-bye.